Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Things that go bump in the night. Things that slither through the desert. These are the subjects of this week's episode. Prepare yourself for allegedly true and scary stories about unexplained creatures that lurk at night, as well as disturbing things found in the desert. Enjoy! Go to darkstories.org to send us your scary stories so I can narrate them. Check out my other podcast, Freaky Folklore, hosted by Carmen Carrion to learn more about the scariest monsters and legends. Just go to eeriecast.com or search Freaky Folklore in your favorite podcast app. Now, let's begin. I'm sure it followed me home, or did it accompany me outside? From Chant Recollect. I was not an easy teenager to raise. I wore only black, listened to angry music like Slipknot, Korn, Papa Roach, Pantera, you get the idea. And I had an immeasurable amount of hate for almost everyone, even my family. Naturally, I didn't fit in. And trust me, my high school peers made sure I knew it almost every day. I didn't care much for topics that kept the girls talking. And to be honest, hearing what the boys thought didn't interest me either. I was pretty alone in my little world. My grades were well above average, so the teachers liked me. I'm sure that only added fuel to the fire. Then I met Jason, who was six or seven years older than me. My dad did not approve of our relationship, but he didn't exactly forbid it either. My dad did, however, enroll me into a martial art called Shotokan Karate. I guess he had hoped I'd learn discipline and some self-defense, but that's not really related to the story. Now, Jason had a friend named Kayleen. Kayleen was strange. I imagined her to be what I could be if I didn't eventually learn to make peace with my past and integrate myself into society. I liked her, though. She was very knowledgeable in the macabre and dark arts. She used to be rather deep in the pit before finding the faith and actively participating in spiritual warfare against demons and other evil entities. I also liked her because she didn't push my buttons on what I wanted to do with my life, or how I'll eventually turn into a pretty girl, if only I'd wear brighter colors and tied my hair back. The three of us would often hang out during weekends or whenever school wasn't too hectic. 
I remember one weekend where my dad had gone to be on a panel of judges in a karate tournament. Kayleen and Jason were supposed to come over a bit later that Saturday to just catch up since we'd have the house to ourselves. About three hours before they arrived, I came home and smelled the most horrific thing as soon as I opened my bedroom door. We lived in a two-story house at the time. My bedroom was above the kitchen and faced southwest, which meant it never got direct sunlight and was always cold. My window was practically level with the fence because there was a very, very steep incline from the yard, like the developers had dug a square crater and built a bunch of houses inside. And we were situated on the border. On that late afternoon, it smelled as if someone had placed spoiled eggs and a carcass on the fire, fur and all, and kept burning it until only bones remained. I searched for anything that might have died under my bed. I also cracked open the attic door to see if maybe a rat had died up there. Nothing. But that stench increased. While I contemplated opening the window, the dankness dissipated. Confused, I looked out the window again to see if the wind had changed direction, only to find that the leaves and grass still bent the same way. It was odd, but I let it go. We had this ritual of going off-road into the wilderness every second Saturday night, building a fire, cooking some food, talking and drinking until the sun came up. Sometimes we'd just build a fire and listen to music via Jason's car, though we'd have to start it every hour or so to charge the battery. We'd take turns contributing things every time. One Saturday I'd provide the meat, the next I'd bring a potato salad. Another Saturday I'd be in charge of garlic bread, plates and cutlery, or snacks, or charcoal, etc. We would always rotate, so toward the end of the month we'd invite more people because funds are low, and the bigger the crowd, the less each person has to bring. On this particular Saturday, Jason, Kayleen, and I would chill for a bit before heading out to meet my high school friend Sadie and her boyfriend, Richard, because he was and still is today the nickname version of Richard. After stopping at the liquor store, we headed out to our secret spot, but this time we noticed our fire pit was not the way we'd left it two weeks ago. The rocks that had sat around it had changed, and there were ashes that looked fresher than they should be. We exclaimed some expletives and set out re-establishing our domain by fixing the fire pit and rearranging the logs we used as seats. By the time we finished, the sun had set, and Jason had to switch on the lights of his car, pointing towards where the fire should already have been going. It was my turn to collect kindling, so while Jason got his playlist started, I entered the darkness. Like I said, I was a very angry teenager. This meant that I rarely had the emotional range to get a fright or feel legit fear. 95% of the time I'd just get teed off and bruise whomever tried to scare me. I didn't even flinch during horror movie marathons. This is important. I could see the car's beams and my companions as I walked further. Having to rely on my sense of touch, I grabbed any available dead tall grass whilst not tripping over anything. The area was flat, so I wasn't concerned about falling into a ditch or whatever. I walked in a straight line, so I'd know what lay ahead of me when I went back. 
but all of a sudden, I don't know, the music, their laughter and voices, the crickets and nightlife just died. As if someone had put plugs into my ears without me feeling it. I turned around and behind me was just black. I was confused. If Jason's car had died, I should still be hearing the voices of the people I came here with. But instead, there was nothing. Even the stars had been painted over. I was a little annoyed at this, assuming they were trying to prank me, and the sky had just clouded over without me noticing. I retraced my steps, but somehow I felt like I was going the wrong direction. Then, a few yards away, something took a step. Imagine if an elephant had hooves and walked on two legs. That's how big and heavy this thing sounded. I perked my ears and listened closely as it took another step. There was no breeze, but still a wall of mephitis hit my face like a ten-pound hammer to a toy truck. I was dazed. For a millionth of a second, pure white flashed at the back of my eye sockets. It was that same disgusting miasma that I'd smelled from my room earlier. Another step, and the hoof sounded like it was only 21 yards away. I looked in that direction, hoping to see eye shine or anything that could help me identify what animal this was. We had some pretty big antelope outside of city limits, but that smell, that was the moment when complete and utter terror took over me. My hackles were raised, and my skin crawled all over. I ran in the direction that initially felt wrong, and to my relief, it didn't sound like anything followed me. Finally, it was as if I walked through a veil of fabric, and I saw the light, the car, everyone. Sound had also returned. Now my panic turned into rage because I was so teed off that something could make me feel like a newborn deer being scrutinized by a pack of rabid wolves. Kayleen was the first to notice me as I walked toward the pit to settle the kindling. She asked what was wrong. When I gave her a certain look, she came closer and asked again. I told her what I experienced, and she went a little pale. But then I mentioned what happened earlier in the day, because it was the second time I'd smelt that. I shuddered just remembering it. She went completely white this time, and loudly exclaimed, That's it! We're leaving right now. Everyone screw off. Party's over. Richard attempted to protest, but I kicked behind his knee and told him to get in his car and leave. Sadie yelled something at me, but she got in the car and the two of them left. We pretended to load the car, only until they were out of sight. Jason stopped us and asked what was going on. Kayleen mentioned something found me and must have followed us here but she wanted to stay a little while to try and find out what it was. An uneasy feeling came over me, so I sat in the car. I heard the two of them murmuring, but couldn't discern what they said, or if they'd said it in English. Nonetheless, they suddenly jumped in the car, and we sped off. Jason drove like a lunatic all the way to Kayleen's house, or what I assumed to be Kayleen's house, as I'd never been there. We spent the night there, it felt safe and warm, and I fell asleep in record time. My insomnia, and resulting agrisomnia, meant this should have been practically impossible. Agrisomnia is Latin for a sick man's dreams, hallucinations, or nightmares. 
The next morning, I awoke to them staring at me intently. None of them said anything or ever mentioned this event again, but I'm sure they must have blessed me or something, because I never sensed that thing ever again. To this day, I can't tell if it was because of that night or my sudden increase of homework and assignments, or just the fact that Kayleen seemed to detach from us, but we three eventually fell apart, and we went our separate ways. I couldn't contact them even if I wanted to. I don't know Kayleen's last name, and Jason isn't on social media. It's a little frustrating, but this was over a decade ago. Still, I often wonder, what did they do to me while I slept? How did I fall asleep so easily? And what the heck was that thing? Creature Beneath the Pharmacy From Claire I used to work overnight shifts at a pharmacy. It was a large building, located on the outskirts of a city. It operated 24-7. I worked as an assistant to the pharmacist, a lovely woman named Catherine. Aside from her, there were two or sometimes three people on duty, security officers and a guy who stocked the shelves in the rest of the store. He was only there once or twice a week, though. For the most part, it was very quiet. The only time there was any problem was when a customer would get aggressive if Catherine or I was taking a while to fetch a prescription. This would be handled easily. Security usually hung near the front of the store, as during the night, the pharmacy counter was the only place someone could check out other products, so it would be all too easy to steal something. My encounter takes place on Monday night. The guy who restocked missing products wasn't there, and so I had to take over. Groceries were fine, but the on-the-shelf medicine like ibuprofen and vitamin supplements were in need of refreshing. I remember being down an aisle with a few big boxes, putting products onto shelves, when I heard something weird. There were opaque dividers between every aisle that were very tall, so you couldn't see through to the next, but I heard someone's shoes dragging on the aisle next over. They were moving very slowly. It made me kind of concerned. Listening to them inch across the floor, I stood up. I'm a very short woman, so again, I couldn't see over to the next aisle. Instead, I just walked around, planning to ask the customer if they needed help. As I entered the next aisle, though, I didn't see anyone. I knew for a fact I had heard someone walking around. Somehow, they had disappeared in the few seconds it took me to reach the next aisle. If they had started running, I certainly would have heard it. Instead, it was like they just vanished. So I went back to stocking shelves, telling myself that I had imagined it, though I knew for a fact I hadn't. It was a little while later when I heard the same sound again, only this time on the other side of the store. I listened. It was clear as day, someone dragging their feet across the aisle. This time it was accompanied with something else, I could hear whoever it was grabbing bottles and jars off the shelf, slamming them onto the floor. Pills were rattling as the person cleared shelves of their products. I remember shouting at them before running to the end of the aisle and crossing over to theirs. Of course, no one was there. Containers were everywhere, with lots of items spilled onto the ground. But whoever had done it was gone. Somehow, like last time, they had cleared the aisle before I'd gotten there without making a sound on their exit. 
This incident attracted the attention of one of the security guards who came running. He asked me what had happened. I didn't really know what to say. I wanted to tell them someone had knocked stuff off the shelves, but at that point I wasn't even sure. I just sort of shrugged, and kindly he helped me pick stuff back up. After that, I was very freaked out. I quit stocking shelves, instead opting to only get a product for a customer if they asked for it. I went back behind the pharmacy counter with Catherine. She could tell I was freaked out, I think, but didn't pry. The shift was soon a little over halfway finished when she left to use the washroom. So I was sitting behind the pharmacy counter, just sort of watching the store. In front of me and to the right, I could see a shelf full of sparkling water, like Perrier and San Pellegrino. I'm not looking at it, but out of the corner of my eye, I see a bottle fall off the shelf. Immediately, I glance over and watch as it hits the ground. It rolls a little before suddenly it gets yanked by an arm from under the shelf. That's right, an arm, a terrible arm. It was humanoid, long, with an elbow, a hand, and five fingers, but also really off. It was a pale white and looked sort of dirty, maybe rotted, and it was far too long and skinny, totally disproportionate to that of a normal person. I stood up straight, not sure what to make of it. There's a good few inches of space under each shelf. It wasn't abnormal to lose products beneath them sometimes, but the arm... That was an entirely different story. Even more terrifying was the thought of the creature it belonged to. I immediately called the security guard using the phone on the desk. The same guy from before came up, asking me what was wrong. I knew I had to choose my words carefully so I didn't come off as crazy. So I told him there was some kind of animal underneath the shelf. I watched, holding my breath, as he removed a flashlight from his belt and got on the ground. He shined the light underneath it, scanning back and forth for a few seconds. Then he stood up, informing me there wasn't anything there. He left, letting me know that it might have run off to somewhere else in the store, and telling me to call again if I see it. I was really dumbfounded as he walked away. Whatever thing had produced that arm must have been massive. There should have been no way for it to exist underneath the shelves at all, let alone crawl away. Now rather terrified, I go back to my desk and begin to wait the shift out. I just wanted to get the heck out of there. Sure enough, Catherine came back. She wore a troubled look that was much different to her usual self. I remember asking her what was wrong. She paused, taking a breath, before telling me she had heard something really strange. She was sitting on the toilet when she began to hear thumping from beneath her. It sounded like there was a large animal below the floor, violently crashing about as she was in the bathroom. She even said she would hear it shriek from time to time, as if in great pain. I held my breath, only reacting to her story mildly. I didn't say anything to her about the thing I'd seen. I didn't want to freak her out. Instead, I just waited. The rest of the night was fine, save for a few items falling off of shelves here and there. After I left the shift without incident, I began to do some digging. First, I checked out the publicly available floor plans. It didn't help out much. Then I sent an email to the owner of the pharmacy, who gave me contact information for the building manager. It took a while for him to respond, but eventually he did. 
he informed me that the building did have a basement, just like I'd thought. I asked him how deep it was, and he wasn't entirely sure, but suggested it was 8 to 10 feet in the shallowest parts. You're probably wondering where I'm going with this. Well, the floor of the pharmacy is tile, large and heavy slabs of marble. I don't think they were ever secured in place because their weight alone should have been enough. That arm I saw must have belonged to a creature in the basement, and somehow with an absolutely inhuman strength, it must have pushed tiles off the floor from the bottom, shaking various shelves throughout the night. Even worse, I heard footsteps too, which implies that at a few points it had removed itself from the basement entirely, coming up to the surface and into the store. I soon quit after that. I couldn't bear to work in a place where I knew something like that could be lurking. I still think about it from time to time, despite it being almost five years ago. But the concept that scares me the most isn't the creature itself, but rather its height. If what the building manager had told me is correct, the basement is eight feet deep at its shallowest point. Considering how far I'd seen that thing's arm extend out from under the shelf, it must have been at least nine feet tall if not more, in order to reach that far from within the basement. Creature in the Woods of Texas from Anita Sandwich This story is my uncle's. I remember him telling me about it one day when I visited him. I figured I'd share this here because it's haunted me for my whole life, and I hope it gives you a scare too. I'll tell you the story from my uncle's point of view, just as he told me. I live in the backwoods of southeast Texas, around the Houston area. Where I live, there are mostly country people, so owning guns and hunting is common. I happen to enjoy hunting, so I had a nice shotgun of my own, too. One night, I was in the mood to go hunting, so I took off. I remember the night being dark and cold. I was hoping to get a deer for my family to eat. I set off in my truck to drive to my favorite hunting spot, a few miles down the road from my house. When I got there, I got out of my truck and set off into the forest, the cold air biting my skin. Flashlight in one hand and gun strapped to my back, I made my way deep into the forest. I always enjoyed my time alone while hunting especially that night. The stars shone through the trees overhead. It was a lovely sight. But then the crackling of the leaves under my feet began to get to me, and I started to feel uneasy. A primal sense of being watched. Afraid that I was about to run into a bear, I began to quickly walk back to my truck, already calling it a night. Maybe this wasn't a good idea, I thought. When I made it back to my truck, as if on cue, I heard this screech. It sounded like a woman screaming, like she was dying. That's when I said, screw this, and I swung my truck door open, speeding off down the road. My heart was racing as I drove away. I had no idea what in the world was out there. But then, I saw it. Something in the middle of the road ahead. I slowed my truck so as to not hit whatever it was. It was huge, hunched over, facing away from me. Not thinking, I honked my horn, and the thing whipped its head around to look at me. 
Then it turned its whole body to face me in my truck. In the headlights, I saw it clearly. Though hunched, it was standing at about eight feet tall, with broad shoulders and the head of a buck. It had sharp yet crooked teeth, stained with blood in places and yellow and others. I swear I could smell the creature from in my truck. It reeked of rotten flesh, the scent of death. I locked eyes with it, pure black eyes that bore into mine. We sat like that until it let out a loud scream. I saw all of its teeth then, and my heart dropped. I floored it, driving past it, my heart pounding all the way home. When I got home, I told my wife what I saw, but she did not believe my story. Now I tell this story to my nieces and nephews to scare them, but I swear with everything in my soul, this is true. Something in the Backyard From Ray During the summer, or over the weekends, my family and I would camp in our backyard. My dad would bring an extension cord outside and set up a TV and DVD player for us to watch movies until it was time to go to bed. My mom would stay inside, and sometimes my dad would too. My brothers were usually the ones who wanted to camp outside, so I would stay with them. This was one such night where we all decided to camp outside. Once it got dark, my dad started a bonfire and we made s'mores and roasted hot dogs on the fire and joked around. We would scare each other by telling scary stories, only to laugh about it after. On this night, though, I thought it would be funny to scare my brothers. At a certain point in the night, I told them that I had to go to the bathroom, so I exited the campsite and pretended to walk into the house. There is a porch which has a sliding door to enter the house, and the door is loud, so I couldn't actually go inside, otherwise they would have heard the door open and close two times, and my plan wouldn't have worked. So, after I pretended to go inside, I snuck behind the tent and waited a while before I even thought of a way to scare them. Then I hit the tent a few times and walked back and forth behind the tent. I could hear them become dead silent with only a few exchanged whispers towards each other. After that, I heard a rustling sound in the woods behind the fence, so I turned to look where the sound was coming from, and my heart just sank. There was a tall figure standing next to a tree. It was slightly hunched over, looking directly at me. I stepped back a few times, and I heard a faint growling noise coming from it. I could hear my brothers panicking, and I was standing as still as I could. It backed up and turned around to walk back into the woods. After I made sure I couldn't hear it or see it, I pretended to come back out of the house and tried not to look as scared as I was when I entered the tent. My brothers looked at me in terror and asked me if I was outside that whole time. I said no, because I wanted to continue the prank on them. But I didn't sleep the rest of the night, and surprisingly my brothers did. I haven't told them about what I saw, and I don't plan on ever telling them. The Growl From TASD 1073 I live in Delta Junction, Alaska. This happened in 2013 in November. I was trying to get a ride home from a girlfriend's house 
who lived on Tanana Lube Extension. I lived about three miles away off the Richardson Highway from her place, on my boyfriend's dad's salvage yard. At the time, my girlfriend and her boyfriend were fighting, so I ended up walking home. It was a very unusual warm November night for central Alaska, but not totally unheard of due to the strong winds Delta Junction is notorious for. Sometimes these winds are so warm coming from the south that they have been known to literally melt snow overnight. It was about 10pm, and I couldn't stay there, so I began to walk home. As I got about a couple of blocks away from her place, I could hear this god-awful screaming. It literally sounded like a small child or a toddler, being, I don't know, I can't even describe to you how ear-piercing and horrifying the noise was. I was petrified, freezing into place for like a minute or two. Debating if I should head back to her place or just keep booking at home, I decided to cross the road. There are no sidewalks in Delta Junction. I wanted to get away from this gut-wrenching screaming, which I chalked up to be the sound of some animal, most likely a lynx. They can make the most terrifying noises or screams when calling for a mate, but I never heard it quite like that since that night. As I crossed the road and planned on walking on this side of the street the rest of the way, all of a sudden I heard this sharp, loud growl like something that would come from a cougar or a big cat. I honestly don't know what it was. Even more petrifying, it sounded like it was right at my left ankle. That close. I froze and I could hear nothing but my heartbeat in my ears at that point. Now this is where it gets even creepier. I could not see, smell, or even hear this thing, except for the nasty, terrifying growl that snapped at me when I tried walking on that side of the street. By that point in my journey, it was pointless for me to turn around and go back from where I started, so I had to keep walking in the smack-dab middle of the road the whole way home. Every time I tried walking on the side, this thing would snap and growl at me at least three more times on my way home. It was cloudy that night, so the only light I had was very minimal, and there wasn't much snow. Luckily, I knew this journey by heart, as I'd traveled it so many times. That was the most scared I've ever been in my life. I just kept on walking, briskly, filled with horror, and praying relentlessly in my head. The thing that really got me was what kind of creature would follow someone all the way to their destination, as this one did to me. I'm not kidding you. It kept up with me all the way to my driveway, which was a mile long, before I finally ran to my cabin. Once the outside light was in my view, I collapsed inside my big heavy cabin door and was gasping for air. I realized I was holding my breath practically the entire walk home in total and complete shock. I wasn't ripped or mauled to death by whatever that creature was that actually followed me all the way to my cabin. I can't help shake the feeling that every time it let out that terrifying, sharp growl, which seemed to be right at my ankle each time it did, it was really saying, get out of here, go home. Well, what sort of critter would do such a thing? And like I said, I could absolutely not see, smell, or hear it in the snow outside of just that heart-stopping, sharp growl. It took me two solid years to step foot into the dark after that night and I haven't been in woods or open roads on foot ever since. 
If anyone can tell me what kind of creature would stalk a person in this manner, I would love to hear it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com DPP. Life is tough on all of us. It can already be so difficult to avoid or power through those things that stress you out or drain you. Personally, I find myself unable to enjoy the things I used to like, and I struggle to stay motivated. Luckily, finding help doesn't have to be hard, because there is BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours, unload the stressors, and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Darkness Prevails listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com dpp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash D-P-P. Thank you, BetterHelp. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, People are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Angry Anasazi Spirits from Southern Utah from Greyfall This story takes place in the Red Rock Deserts of Southern Utah, in the canyon of Cane Gulch, to be precise, for those brave enough to reenact this story. My family has always loved the great outdoors, 
and nigh every weekend we were out doing something that involved being in nature. Kayaking, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking, you name it. I was seven years old when this trip took place. My dad had won a lottery to obtain a permit to camp in Cane Gulch in southern Utah, a land beloved by my family for its rugged terrain and serene beauty. This particular canyon is well known for having multiple cliffside dwellings of the ancient Anasazi people. So intact, even after hundreds of years, you can still see the cobs of corn they ate, even the feathers of the turkeys they raised and slaughtered as well as ancient fragments of pottery they created when they still roamed those lands, all of which could still be found amongst the arcane houses, like they were there just a few days ago. The plan for the first night was to hike the seven or eight miles into the designated camping sites at the end of the canyon and camp there for the night. The hike itself took you right underneath what must have been a dozen Anasazi dwellings, which you could all climb into with the ladders they made in the soft sandstone cliffs all those centuries ago. Each set of ruins was marked on our map, so we knew exactly where every ruin was on our way. It's very important to note that no one is allowed to take anything from these sites, which we all followed to the letter. Not only is it extremely illegal and unethical, but each time you summited their ladders and stood inside their catacomb-like mud brick house villages, a heavy presence weighed on you. I'm not sure if it was just the sense of knowing just how ancient those buildings were, or something more supernatural. But I assure you, it always felt as if someone, somewhere, would know if you took anything. The hike itself was long and grueling. It was a high desert at the tail end of summer, and we were lugging around dozens of pounds on our backs all day, Every time we passed by a ruin we could all easily reach, we took a short break and explored it. The day passed on like this, uneventful, fun, and tiring, until at last we came upon the backcountry campsite cluster deep in the wilderness. There were several sites to choose from, with each campsite being about 100 yards away from the next. Once I saw the very first campsite, I was immediately adamant that we set up camp there. I really, really insisted that we set up camp at this particular site, but we had the entire campground to choose from, as we were the only ones there, and my parents wanted a tree for shade to shelter us from the scorching late afternoon desert sun. I refused to keep searching though. This campsite, I said. It had to be this campsite, this campsite. My parents and even myself at the time just thought I wanted that site because it was the first one we came across and I was whiny and tired. That was definitely true, I was only seven at the time, but something else drew me to that sight. Alas, I was overruled, and on we hiked, until we settled into a site with a grand old cottonwood tree. I'm talking this tree was easily over 200 years old, it was so massive, definitely a tree capable of providing all the shade we could ever need. Its canopy spanned at least 100 feet. We set up camp and settled in as the sun began to wane closer to the western horizon, and evening set in. As we all went about our downtime, waiting for dinner, I remember a feeling I got. That sense you get when you're being watched. Sometimes the eyes felt as if they were down the trail we came from. 
Sometimes they were in that large bush 20 feet to my left. Sometimes they felt as if they were just over my shoulder. That feeling got so strong in me I remember asking my parents if they felt it too. Partially to my relief and partially to my disappointment, they also mentioned that they felt eyes on them. My mom was sitting on a rock, writing in her notebook about the trip so far. She looked down at her shoe and saw a half-dollar-sized piece of archaic pottery, deep earthen brown and speckled with an ornate wave-like design pattern. Strange, she thought, and later recounted to me years after this, what's this piece of pottery doing here? There aren't any ruins nearby. She turned her gaze up beyond the canopy of the cottonwood tree, and there, plain as day, was a set of Anasazi ruins, completely unmarked on our map, probably 100 yards away and 30 feet up the canyon walls, strong like the earth they're made from. Primordial, dried clay dwellings of a bygone era stood steadfast, watching over our sight. At this point in the day, I was too tired and no longer thrilled at the prospect of investigating another set of ruins to bother exploring this set. I've been in and out of them all day. These surely couldn't be any different, I thought. The sun continued its arc across the sky and soon kissed the western horizon. The eyes, I felt, never blinking, seeming to never look away for the rest of the afternoon. Dinner was served and eaten, and we were treated to a symphony of frog croaks, coyote howls, owl hoots, and bug buzzing that was so loud, it was almost deafening. I remember my dad, bathed now in the soft ethereal glow of the moonlight, pretending to be an orchestra conductor directing the animals of the world in their song of the night. It took the edge off and is one of my favorite memories of the trip. We fell asleep just in our sleeping bags on the ground that night, right underneath the largest branch of the cottonwood tree. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, but the tree would provide us shelter from rain if something unexpected were to happen. And unexpected things did indeed happen. As we were sleeping, that very same branch hundreds of years old and withstanding all storms and extreme weather southern Utah can offer, collapsed. My family and I all woke up to a terrible creaking noise right above us, like a tree in a hurricane as the wood and branches contorted and twisted. And yet there was no wind that night, but the branch ached and groaned just the same. We began getting up and moving just as the first splitting noises were heard, followed by a thunderous clap and crash as several tons of wood split from the tree and slammed into the ground where our heads had lain just seconds before. Terrifying, for sure, but we had no time to react to our near-death experience. The sagebrush and draught-riddled bushes all around our site began rustling violently. Again, there was no breeze here, but dozens of bushes all around us began rattling like hundreds of angry rattlesnakes. For the second time tonight, all of us were deafened. Being the dead of night and definitely out of our logical minds, my parents packed me up, turned on our headlights, and just ran down the trail. Following us down the trail, the once motionless bushes rattled to life as we passed them, heading to another campsite. After what felt like an eternity, of being scared absolutely crapless, 
but in reality it was probably seven to ten seconds, we arrived at another campsite. One with no trees or anything. Just a large, empty circle. As we entered the campsite, the rustling ceased immediately, and the sounds of the animal orchestra took over, calming, peaceful. After several minutes or so, my dad mustered up the courage to return to our old campsite to retrieve our sleeping bags and brought them back to our new haven for the night. We eventually calmed down and fell back to sleep. In the morning, I instantly recognized where we were staying. It was the very first campsite on the trail, the one I had been so drawn to. Needless to say, we had a quick breakfast that morning, and we immediately gathered our stuff at the cursed site, preparing to hike back out right away. As we packed up what we left in our terror, I looked up to where the ruins that weren't marked on the map were. But instead, now all I saw was a painted limestone canyon wall, one that has stood for millions of years and has probably never been touched by humans. Gone were the ruins we saw yesterday. I pulled my dad aside, asking him if he saw the same thing. To my horror, he looked briefly in between packing up the cooking gear and said to me, Yep, there's nothing there. They're not there anymore. After last night, that doesn't even surprise me anymore. I get the feeling we need to leave. So hurry up, help us pack. I get the feeling we need to leave, he said. Yes, that was the feeling I felt this morning. That's another thing that was different. Gone were the watchful eyes, and here now was the feeling of being a trespasser. I obediently began helping my parents pack up, and we were back on the trail within the hour. I can happily say that the rest of the trip went fine, and the malicious feeling that consumed the pit of our stomachs dissipated about a mile down the trail. I've always believed in ghosts and spirits, and I could tell that they were pleased to see us be on our way and wouldn't mess with us anymore. Horror is my favorite genre, and I've experienced more possibly supernatural events and have encountered some cryptid-like animals in my travels in the wild since. But this trip was what it took for me to believe that there are forces at play we don't and probably will never understand. If any listeners ever get lucky enough to experience the beauty of Cane Gulch in southern Utah, please be respectful. Pack out what you pack in, respect the wildlife, obey trail rules, and, perhaps most importantly, make sure you knock and wait for approval before entering someone's house. Even if the person isn't there anymore, they will still know who has trespassed. The Lantern Man, from Josh Magosh. I play music. I'm not here to promote. My band no longer performs. But I do wish to tell a story from a time we were on the road, however. We were driving west. About five of us headed to California for our next tour date. It was our first time as a band driving through Nevada, and it happened to be at night. This particular road, I believe, is called Devil's Alley, or something like that. I don't know. I am a practical guy, and I don't believe in anything paranormal, and I'm not superstitious whatsoever. 
This was a long stretch of road that had no lights, stores, or homes. It was a barren place with just desert and road. Since time was of the essence, whenever we had to relieve ourselves, we'd usually use empty water bottles. Gross, I know, but believe me when I tell you this. Every big artist has had to do this at some point. That's part of tour life. However, this particular night, we had some time with the day off following, so we decided to pull over and use the bathroom right there on the side of the desert. Me and my bassist, Derv, stood relieving ourselves while looking up into the stars. They were beautiful. We made a comment on how they looked and added that it was possibly due to the low light pollution in this part of town. We then looked into the darkness of the desert. One could only guess what stood behind the veil of black. The only light around was whatever light our band van produced. It was dark. Though the night sky was clear, I don't even really remember seeing the moon now that I think of it. Stars, yes, but no moon. But while looking into the dark of the desert, we saw a lantern. It was a good distance out, and I asked Derv if he saw it. He did. What the heck is that? He asked. I acknowledge that nothing is out there. He asked me what I thought it looked like, and I told him a lantern, which he replied, that's what I see. Let's go check it out, I suggested. I know this sounds crazy, but there were a total of five of us. Some of the others were standing outside at the moment, but it wasn't like it was just me and him. Plus, I don't believe in ghosts and crap like that. I'm all about making sense of things. I do acknowledge that this was odd, but it had to have an explanation. I really wanted to check it out, as did Derv. Before we went into the darkness, our bandmates criticized us for the time we've wasted standing outside and urged that we had a schedule to follow. Reluctantly, we agreed, and I began driving again. Derv sat beside me, and we set up, talking about what it could have been. We joked about aliens, since we were in Nevada. We also thanked our bandmates from stopping us from going into the desert. That would have been reckless. That light was probably much further than we thought, and who knows what was out there with coyotes and rattlesnakes. We made it to our destination and had a great tour. Fast forward to now. That was many years ago. Some of those in that van I don't even speak to anymore. Time does weird things, I guess. Lately, I've been into watching YouTube videos of scary stories and the world's oddest or most dangerous things. For example, I watched one recently that was the top five most dangerous roads in the world. No need for a link to it. Just type that in and you'll likely come across it. While watching this video, they began talking about that long, dark stretch of Nevada Highway. Devil's Alley. I'm a vocal person. So, excited, I started typing a comment, telling about how I drove on it. The video is pretty much only talking about the road and how barren it is. Meanwhile, I'm typing my story, and as soon as I start to tell about the lantern we'd seen, the video suddenly says... Some people claim to have seen a spirit known as the Lantern Man. This ghost tried to lure people with his lantern. And holy crap, I freaked out and called Derv. Mind you, I hadn't spoken with him in a long time. He answered. I asked him about the night, and just like me, he remembered it vividly. 
I can't say I believe in ghosts, because I just can't. What I can say, though, is that something does dwell in the darkness deep in the barren desert off the roads, holding something that looks to be a lantern. My strange and horrifying experience in the desert night from Dark Angels. I was riding in the car on the way from a day in the city. It was late at night, very dark, and there were lots of stars in the sky. I was just a little girl at the time, about seven years old, but that night I can remember well. As my parents and I continued on through the night, we saw a really bright green glow coming from the far side of the desert. We thought nothing much of it, and kept on driving, but suddenly that glowing green light got brighter and closer. I swear I was so scared at that point, I nearly soiled myself. The light then vanished for a second, then it was almost like it flew right in front of the car, then disappeared into the darkness of the desert. My parents and I were completely shaken. We sat there in shock, and we finally decided to continue on our way home which was still another hour and a half drive away. We talked about what the light could have been. Instantly, I spoke up and said it was aliens. My parents just laughed. Another half hour into our drive home, we saw another light, but this light was almost like a laser light, red and bright, kind of like someone was playing with a laser pointer, only brighter and thicker. That was when we realized we were not alone, we were being followed, and that laser light was not from a pointer, but a gun. My father stepped on the gas, and we were out of there. We didn't look back, only forward. We made it home especially fast, doing above the speed limit the rest of the way to the house. All I can say is though we still speak of it years later, I'm now 22, and it still scares us to this day. So, whatever it was in the desert that night... I hope we never meet again. Horror at a Government Property From Maddie the Batty It was June of 2018. My family, a family friend, and I decided it would be fun to drive out to a particular place that is popular among people searching for aliens. Chances are you've heard of it, as it is extremely popular and is owned by the government. The location is in the middle of nowhere, and what was supposed to be a one or two hour long drive turned into almost four hours. By the time we got to the themed gift shop, it was already 9pm. We stopped by in the gift shop, which was closing, and looked around for a bit. We then decided to drive further up the road and see if we could find anything interesting. As we drove down the dark road, we must have hit like five rabbits. They just kept darting across the road suddenly, so the trip was already off to a bad start. After about 20 minutes, we turned down a dirt road. Finally, we reached the gate. It was covered top to bottom in no trespassing signs, with watchtowers on either side. It seemed pretty legit, so we turned around and drove down the road for a few minutes so we could stop and look at the stars. We could still see the gate in the distance. Basically, the way it was set up was a road with expansive desert on either side, with pitch black darkness in front of us and the gate behind us. Now, this is where it gets weird. 
We parked our car on the right side of the road and then went to the other side to sit and look at the stars. We kept hearing strange noises like bushes rustling and footsteps. It felt as if we were being watched on all sides. We thought it must be another bunny, right? Wrong. We realized that after turning down the dirt road, there were absolutely no animals. I could only assume it must have been guards of the area watching us. We continued looking at the stars, and we kept seeing these bright lights that looked like stars, but they were moving very irregularly. They'd move a little to the right, change direction, speed up, stop, and even disappear. They were moving abnormally fast for planes, which, by the way, weren't even allowed to fly within this area. And then we all looked down at the same time, noticing a bright orange light sitting on top of a distant mountain. We all began to watch this light. Then we all looked back up to the sky, where we saw even more moving lights. When we looked back down again, the orange light was gone, so we carried on with our stargazing for a few more minutes. All of a sudden, the light came back, and this time, it headed right for us. And it brought a friend. These two huge lights were now hurtling towards us extremely fast, and we had no idea what to do or think. Just as we decided we should probably run for our lives, the lights just disappeared. We watched the stars for a while longer, then decided it was time to go. But we couldn't leave. Our car had a flat tire somehow, the one facing the side with the desert. So we changed the tire as fast as we could and booked it back home. I have no idea what happened to the tire, as it wasn't flat on our way there. All I know is I'm never going back there again. Possible Vampire Jinn from Anonymous. This story occurred in Pakistan, more specifically in the middle of the desert, somewhere south in Pakistan. Ever since I was little, I absolutely loved chickens and chicks, so my dad decided to buy me six chicks. Every day we'd let them roam in our yard at 5 a.m., then we'd put them back up in the cage at 7 a.m. One day when my mom went to put them back in the cage, she found them all dead. There was no blood around them, so the death was clean. There were also no bite marks. When my mother further inspected the bodies, she did actually find two puncture holes in all the chicks, and it looked as if the blood was sucked from them. She thought it was a cat, but cats eat their prey and take it with them. There was nothing else she could think of, so she told me a cat had killed the chicks. I was devastated, but after they bought me a parrot, which is still alive, I buried the chicks and forgot about them. But it wasn't over. The scariest part was yet to come. I'm not sure if the event I'm about to tell you is tied to the death of these chicks, but I think it is. One night at 2am, something began running on the roof, and it was insanely fast. It sounded heavy too, because the whole house was shaking as it ran. I woke up my dad. He then locked the door to the room, then told my mother and brother, who had awakened because of the running, to stay quiet. You may be wondering now why didn't my dad get a gun? 
that's because we didn't own a gun. The running continued until 3am. Then it stopped. Whatever was up there began making screeching sounds and deep growling sounds too. These strange things continued until sunrise. When the sun rose, my dad went to check the roof. Up there, he found only a cat with the same two-puncture mark wound on its neck. In my opinion, I think it was a djinn, our version of ghosts, but I'm not sure. If you have any idea of what it might be, let me know.